and welcome to the Pracademics podcast, where we aim to keep you informed, connected and inspired in the work that you do with children, young people and families that have been impacted by trauma. This podcast has been recorded on the traditional lands owned by the Jagara and the Turrbal people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and the emerging community leaders, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you may be listening to this podcast. In this episode today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Catherine Hines, who is a clinical psychologist, also with a PhD in neuroscience and EMDR consultant supervisor. And I'll be mining her brain over the next couple of episodes. In today's episode, we talk about this concept of stabilization when you're working with people with complex trauma. And in fact, the phenomena where people who have experienced complex trauma can often appear to be stuck in the stabilization phase. And it can seem that it is challenging or in fact, sometimes risky to move them towards the trauma focused processing aspects of treatment because they don't seem to be able to sufficiently establish a sense of stabilization. So in this episode, Catherine kindly and clearly explains how and why this happens. And we begin to talk about what can be done to support clients to move past this phase. Okay, so I guess the first question I have for you today is why do people get stuck in the stabilization phase? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot of really useful core skills in stabilization that people need to know and need to know at a high level. So really good quality grounding and really good quality containment and and self-soothing skills generally and lots of people know those and they're still finding that they don't really work and I guess the most common reason that stabilization isn't working is that we're not fully formulating what it is that is making the client unstable and so in the context of simple adult onset PTSD those standard grounding and containment skills and self-soothing will work. Um, But when you have more complex PTSD where there might be fragmentation of the self, where there might be parts storing trauma and other parts of the mind trying to prevent that trauma from emerging or using the presence of the trauma to communicate internal messages, containment can be a lot harder. So I've seen numerous cases where some part of the mind is actually using flashbacks to make a point to the grounded self about safety or something else and if that internal fragmentation isn't well understood by the therapist it's very difficult to manage that destabilization. Hmm. I often also have this thought in my head that I'd like to just pause my client's life and then get in and do the trauma work because I feel like the trauma is triggering them in their current life so their capacity to kind of respond to what's going on in their current life is limited and they're also experiencing stresses that's exacerbating the trauma that they Mm. had. So if I just had a big pause button, could do a bunch of work and then unpause and they'd be much more skilled to kind of deal with what's happening. Yeah. So it's really stuck in this kind of crisis cycle. Yeah. What can I do about that? Do you have a pause button? (laughs) (laughs) Do I have a pause button? Short answer, no. Um, Cases like that are are really complicated to deal with, right? And I have often entertained the idea, and other people are doing this, 
of, a, of an inpatient unit for a trauma because there's some stuff that's so symptomatic and it's actually exacerbating some of the life chaos and the only pause button is going to be to remove that person from that context that's really destabilizing when you're doing therapy you've got to think of you know maslow's hierarchy of needs and if like housing isn't stable or relationships are dangerous if the person's actually in current danger if they're ongoingly entangled with long-term perpetrators or new perpetrators all of that stuff has to be resolved before you would be considering unpacking and resolving and healing trauma so i guess it's also worth saying that when someone has PTSD, sometimes smaller stressors, non-traumatic stressors in the present can feel like traumatic stressors. So a really common pattern that we see is people who've had really serious adversity in childhood and, and, and abusive relationships in childhood can get triggered into those states of mind by invalidation in the present. So it isn't abusive, but it's just not supportive. So we need to do a bit of a balance of upskilling people in that life management and really nutting out what the current stressors are and figuring out some you know, way of mitigating them before we can really engage with traumatic material. Mm-hmm. So there's no pause button. <laughs> and I guess how do you go about that? Is that more teaching more skills in terms of upskilling them in that area? It really depends what's going on, right? Um, so psychology interventions are really tailored to an individual so it would depend a lot on what is actually going on right now for that individual if the individual's in danger they need to be removed from danger right that that that, and and that's often not a psychological intervention that's going to be doing that right that gets other agencies involved and they need to really reach some sort of stability of housing and so on before you would return to psychology. Similarly, if the danger is really excessive um, substance misuse, a person can't really take on therapy while they're high or recovering from substances. And so that's really got to be managed first. More low-level substance misuse, you can sometimes work you know, alongside your other interventions. So it really depends. I don't think I have a, a sort of straightforward answer for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is... Um, an opportunity for upskilling and assertiveness and nonviolent communication and that kind of stuff that definitely we have to start off with in in that stabilization phase but the challenge for the complex trauma survivor is consistently applying those skills in the context of regular triggers so there's a a bit of a balance of sometimes you need to focus on the skills for a bit and then focus on some of the integrative work or the trauma recovery work and then go back to the skills. So phase one, you know, when you look at your three phases of trauma treatment, that safety and stabilization can be quite a long time and can be kind of complicated. Mm. Because I think, you know, when I was trained in EMDR and we talk about safety, it was very much about a safe place and not being in, you know, immediate threat Mm. and creating a sense of a safe place. But I guess as you talk, I'm getting a sense that there's a lot more skills involved in that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because, you know, if you imagine the circumstance of a person who grew up where where danger was always a possibility, right? It's someone who grew up in a really volatile family environment, for example. One of the ways that that person's going to cope with the sort of normal demands of life, going to school, making friends, is suppressing their awareness of that danger so that they can concentrate on this, right? It's a kind of separation. The danger's not here now. It's not really that bad. I'm, I'm engaging here. I'm going and learning and making friends and playing and whatever. 
that's a natural human tendency, right? We've all been through a pandemic. There were times during the pandemic where you pretended you weren't in the middle of a pandemic just to be able to relax, right? When we use the safe place alone, just getting someone into a nice calm, you know, imagining being at a beach or whatever it is that that person finds calming and soothing, that can actually be used to minimize one's experience of actual danger and risk that really needs management. So it is a useful kind of litmus test for can this person self-soothe? Can they get into, a, you know, access their ventral vagal calm, you know, neurological states? But it's not on its own a solution to risks and risk management in their everyday life. Mm. Yeah. So what is the solution to clarify? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be a frustrating interviewee for you because there is no one solution, right? It really, it really depends on what's going on for that individual. So it may be looking at housing and housing stressors. It may be looking at the current relationships and what those are actually doing to the person and, and, and upskilling that person and making that person aware of what healthy boundaries are. So there are some cases where prior to doing any integrative or trauma-focused work a person's going to need to go and do an intervention like dbt where the program itself provides the frontal lobe because it's very structured and very supported and that and and that allows them to acquire skills right so there's definitely in some cases where things are really disorganized and difficult a need for a robust skills-based intervention first right whereas in cases where a person has more capacities, greater security, you might be able to do it just by one-on-one skills training and raising awareness and just modeling some of that stuff. And in other cases, the essential component of getting the safety achieved or getting the skills enacted as a capacity, even though they know them, but getting them to actually use them, is going to be working with parts to make sure all the parts are on board with using those skills and really troubleshooting what the barriers are for feeling comfortable using those skills or feeling that they have the right to use those skills or feeling that they're wise and sensible. So thank you for listening to the first part of the very wide-ranging conversation that I had with Catherine. I'll be sharing more of Catherine's insights in the following podcasts as we dive deeper into this idea of treating complex trauma and dissociation. So subscribe to our episodes to make sure that you find out when they drop and uh, keep in touch by following us on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Also, if you're interested in knowing the strategies that both Catherine and I teach in practice to improve safety and stabilization skills when we're working with someone with complex trauma you can download our free guide in the show notes so that outlines three easy ways that you can improve safety and stabilization skills in the work you do with people that have experienced complex trauma thanks for listening and i hope to catch you in the next episode